Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. This morning we dive into a new series. We're coming out of a series on evangelism and discipleship where we attempted to paint the picture that if we are in fact believers, if we are in fact saved, if we are in fact set apart by the blood of Jesus Christ, then our Christian life will be marked by certain aspects. And that's kind of really what we're doing the first part of this year. We're looking at some of those. So we looked at it and we said, if in fact we know Jesus, if in fact we are set apart and saved, then our our life will be marked by discipleship and evangelism. So what's that mean? We will constantly be in the process of being discipled and making disciples, right? That's our job as a believer. And that's the first mark of a believer is that we spend our lives both being discipled and making disciples. We said evangelism and discipleship, you can't have one without the other. This morning we begin to dive into a a study for a few weeks and the idea is this, another mark of the Christian life is the mark of being a servant. A Christian will be a servant. In other words, if you're not a servant... You don't know Jesus. Why? Because Jesus, as he gave his example to us on this earth, went about it by being a servant to others. Yesterday, we had a tremendous opportunity. Brother Ligon mentioned it. I'm not going to spend too much time on it this morning. But we had a tremendous opportunity, and I might say that I am proud to be your pastor. I am proud to be your pastor, not just because of yesterday, but because of all week. I saw you. All week long, some of you out serving in different capacities just to go out and have opportunity to, to share the love of Christ with your neighbor, either with your chainsaw, with your, with your bare hands, with your attitude, with your cooking, with whatever it was that God has, has blessed you with. You were using it yesterday as a group. Uh, we went out. I, I failed to count how many people. Uh, I don't know exactly how many people we had, well over 40, that, that came out to help serve uh, in our community yesterday and praise the Lord. Uh, I will share with you one thing that moved me was that I had others come up to me and they said, Pastor, I don't know what you're doing. And I said, I'm not doing anything. They said, I don't know what you're doing, but we haven't seen so many children out helping to serve as we have with your group. And I simply said this, I said, if we don't let them serve when they're young, how are they going to know to serve when they're old? If we don't teach them to serve now, how are they going to learn it later? So God bless you parents for bringing them out and bless you church for for letting the kids help. Uh, Sometimes I know it may feel like they're in the way, uh, but I don't know about you guys, but I saw every one of our kids helping and even in the most humble of manners by toting a trash bag. It doesn't get much more humble than to be the trash man, amen? And praise God for the trash men. So this morning we're going to look at this first aspect of serving. And we're going to look at this idea. True service requires Christ-like humility. True service requires Christ-like humility. I want to ask you to stand, please, if you're able. In honor and reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God from Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning, we ask that you would do what only you can do, and that's dwell among your people. Father, I'm aware as we gather this morning that this group doesn't need a word from me, but a word from you. So, Father, would you deliver it? Father, would you come into this place, Father, and be glorified that we would proclaim your holy name? Father, if there be any devil, any demon, Father, any spirit, any thought that is not captive of your Holy Spirit, would you remove it at this time that for the next few minutes, every focus would be on you and you alone. And God, will give you the glory because you're worthy. We'll give you the honor and the praise because it's yours, Father, and it's in your precious name that we pray, Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen, be seated. So this passage, as most passages in the Bible, but this passage particularly is one of those really interesting passages where there are kind of two levels on which we examine this passage. First, we cannot help but see the powerful doctrinal truth that is found within these words. There is tremendous significance theologically about Christ found in this passage. It gives us incredible insight into the nature and the work of Jesus Christ. It tells us of his equality with God, of his coexistent humanity, how he is 100% God, yet he is 100% man, and yet he does it all at the same time. It tells us of his extreme obedience to the will of the Father, how he died upon the cross. It tells us of his ultimate exaltation as a result of his work on the cross and how every knee will bow. I'm going to interest you guys in a Greek word, the every word that's included there. In the Greek, it means every. In the English, you know what it means? Every. All of them. Because of Christ's work and his supreme preeminence, Every knee will bow, not just those who believe in him, but all will bow to Christ at some point. And that is his ultimate exaltation, is that at some point, every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we see all of this doctrinal truth found right here in Philippians chapter 2, but, but just as important... We've got to look at the contextual message. In other words, the, the tone and the tenor of Paul's writing as we look at, at where he's sending this letter under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we begin to see that it's an extremely practical text just as well as it's an extremely doctrinal text. So we see this section of scripture in context with all of those around it and we see that in the book as a whole Paul is making an argument to the church at Philippi. He's making a very practical plea to the church at Philippi. It's not just a, a proclamation of theology but it's also a proclamation that Jesus Christ is the ultimate example to us. He is the supreme example for us of what it means to serve one another. In other words, it's he who we are to follow, he who we are to emulate. So we could preach this text standalone on the Christology and the theology and any other ology you want to think of, but at the end of the day, my friends, here's what it boils down to. If your theology doesn't move you practically, in other words, if what you study about the Bible doesn't change what you do and how you live, then you didn't really understand it in the first place. If you can read through it and just gain all kinds of real deep, fancy knowledge, 
but you don't put it into practice in your life. You didn't really understand what God was saying to you through the Bible. It, it would be like reading a book on how to cook. Let's say you opened up a book and it had a great recipe for how to make the best spaghetti that there ever was. And you, you read this recipe, you memorized this recipe, and you knew deep down exactly what the recipe was for making the greatest spaghetti that ever was. And you went to the grocery store. Now this week that might be more difficult than others. But you went to the grocery store and you gathered all of the ingredients to make the greatest spaghetti that ever was. And you took all of those ingredients home and you placed them on your stove together and you sat there with all of your knowledge and all of the ingredients. You had everything necessary to make the greatest spaghetti that there ever was and you went straight to bed and did nothing with your knowledge and nothing with your ingredients. Would you have any sustenance from that? Of course not. It would have done you no good to have had the recipe and the stuff if you don't whip it together and make the greatest spaghetti that ever... Anybody else wants spaghetti for lunch now? Huh? Amen. So, any of you cooking, let me know. I'll be there. If it doesn't change how you act, then all you got was a bunch of knowledge. And James, in fact, says about that, that faith without works is dead. In other words, if what you know about Jesus doesn't move the parameter and the thermometer of your life, then you didn't meet Jesus. So this is the practical message of this text. Have this attitude, have this mindset among yourselves. If you're going to do what I said in verses 1 through 4, and this the idea that Paul is setting forth in 1 through 4, is that we'll put others' needs before our own. But if you're going to do that, Paul says it's not a natural thing, then you have to have the same mind as Christ. And so verse 5 through 11 shows us how to live this out practically. So in other words, before we understand 6 through 11, we have to, to understand the instruction in verse 5. So what does Paul say in verse 5? Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you're going to do all these things we're going to talk about, if we're going to do all of these things, you've got to have the mind of Christ. You've got to be like Christ, okay? So the first thing we're going to look at about being a servant this morning, there's five things from the text, don't worry, they're shorter than my normal three points because there's two extra ones, I'm not going to keep you an extra hour, okay? Uh, I know many of you have spaghetti to cook. So the first thing we're going to look at about being a servant, there's five things we need to understand. One, being a servant means giving up my rights for others, giving up my rights for others. Look in verse 6 with me. It says, Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Christ always has been, is, and always will be God. The original language here says that Christ was of the same nature as God. In other words, he was the same essence. He was the very same as God. He was, in fact, and always will be God. That truth is the foundation of the church. That is one of the Trinitarian foundations of the church. Peter testified, and when Jesus said to him, who do you say that I am, what did Peter say? He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Although he was manifested as a human, he continued to be God. There is a mystery that's contained there, isn't it? We don't understand that. We don't grasp that, right? It's a difficult truth. I'm going to teach you guys a fancy word, the hypostatic union. Okay, a hypostatic union. You can use that later when you're at some kind of place where you want to sound smart. You can use that word. Now let me break it down and give you the Jason Mole, very easy to understand definition of that really fancy term, hypostatic union. It simply means that Jesus was always God, always will be God. Even though he was fully man, he was still God. 
All right, that's a fancy way for me to say that Jesus never stopped being God even when he was fully human, okay? So there's two natures. They remain distinct, but they always remain. One person, Christ, the, the God-man. So Jesus lived 100% human, 100% God. He fought the same temptations. This has to be, okay? This is foundational to us as a church. It, it absolutely, we have to understand this. Jesus, when he lived on this earth, faced the same temptations that we face, faced the same struggles that we face, went through the same uh, uh, ordeals that we go through because we are in the flesh. Yet, because of his divine nature, he was able to overcome them all. So what we cannot do, he was able to do because of his divine nature. And what Paul is saying is that because we have Jesus living inside of us, those of us who have been adopted sons and daughters of the king, because we have Jesus, then we can begin to demonstrate his divine nature. Can we live our life without sin? Of course not. Of course not. I, I can't even tie my shoes without sinning in some fashion or another. But we can begin to display the divine natures of Christ and, and having Jesus with us enables us to do so. And so Paul says, look, Jesus was and is God. He wasn't a prophet just. He wasn't a teacher just. He wasn't just a healer. He was and is God. And we have to get that. John 1.14 says the word became flesh and took up residence among us. We, we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son. So we have to understand that Jesus is God in the flesh. But look what Jesus, who is fully God in the flesh, did. He did not consider equality with God to be of his advantage, right? He didn't consider it robbery, right? He didn't consider leaving that heavenly deity, leaving that place in heaven and coming to dwell among us men, coming down to this place to dwell among us. He didn't look at it as robbery. He didn't look at it as trying to get his advantage. He didn't hold on to his rights as God. He was not looking out for himself, but he came to this earth, what? For the esteem of others, right? What was his purpose for coming? That we might have forgiveness of our sins. In other words, Jesus came to this earth simply because we failed. Can you imagine that? What greater love is this? That Jesus said, I'm going to completely abandon my rights and my liberties and my deity. As God. I'm going to completely leave that behind to go dwell among these people. Why? Because they didn't do what I commanded them to do in the first place. I love them so much that when they fail to do the one thing I told them to do, I'm going to go to them anyway that they might have a way to be made right. He had all the access and privilege to his deity. He could have exploited that. He could have used his power. He could have done any of these things. But instead, he looked at his deity as an opportunity to serve. Even though he could have used it for himself, he used it for others. Now think about that in contrast to how the world teaches us to think and what we're made to look at. Because the, the world's value system is clearly different than the value system that Jesus shows. The world says, he who has the most and keeps the most gets the most, right? He who does the most and gets the most with what he has gets it. But Jesus said this. Jesus went quite the opposite. He said, I've got everything. I'm going to leave it all behind and become nothing that others might have everything. Think about that. <coughs> it, 
If you and I are ever going to be servants, if we're ever going to serve and, and put ourselves out, then we're going to have to have the same attitude of Christ. We're going to have to give up our rights. In other words, if I'm going to serve somebody else, I can't go with the attitude of this is what I deserve. This is what's due to me. This is what I deserve. I deserve this. I've earned this. It's mine. This is my right. We have to say, listen, I'm going to give up my rights. I'm going to leave my right behind that I might esteem others first. I might put others before me. So first thing, we have to give up our rights for others. Second, being a servant means becoming less that others can become more. Becoming less that others can become more. Look with me at verse 7. But he made himself of no reputation. That literally means he emptied himself. He made himself of no reputation, coming as a bondservant in the likeness of men. He made himself nothing, emptied himself of all of his significance. How? By taking on the form of a slave. That word bondservant here in this text, some texts will call it slave. Depends on your interpretation. But literally, he took on the very nature of the least servant. He came as a servant. He didn't come as a lord. He didn't come down born into a palace, born into a kingdom. He came to be born in a manger, in a lowly, lowly area, in a lowly place as a complete servant. He gave himself for others. All of creation was created by him and through him according to the word of God. And yet the one who created everything emptied himself of everything that he might come into it to save everything. Jesus became a servant. What a dramatic distance that Jesus traveled from heaven to a cross. I want you to think about from robes to rags, from being served to serving. How far from the golden streets of heaven to the cobblestones of the Via Dolorosa? How far from the songs of heaven's chorus to the cries of the angry mobs? How, well, think about that. Jesus left a place where the angels sing glory for eternity to come to a place where people shouted such things as crucify him. And he left that willingly. What distance did he travel from the throne room to a manger? If you want to look at the book of Revelation and see the description of the throne room and then go outside and look at a stable of hay, tell me which one you think sounds better. From being exalted to being executed. And why? Because he loved you. Why did he do these things? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that we might have life. This is the heart of what it means to follow Christ. It means to lose our lives that we might save others. It means to be emptied of ourselves to be filled with him and his passion for others. You know, it is no wonder that the health and wealth churches fill up and explode. Because it's not popular to stand in front of a group of people and say the greatest thing you can do for others is to empty yourself of your own esteem. The greatest example we have of life is to follow Jesus who gave himself up that others might have life themselves. Because our nature is not, as fallen people, it's not to be emptied, it's to be filled, right? We want more, 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 more. We're more interested in becoming something and becoming someone and becoming important. And yet, Jesus says, I was the absolute most important thing in all of the creation and I emptied myself completely that I might come and save others. So, being a servant means becoming less that others might become more. Number three, servanthood means being obedient 
no matter the cost. Being obedient, no matter the cost. Look at verse 8 with me. And being a found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He humbled himself. The depth of this statement is, is crazy. God is saying, he who made all men, who hears all things, who knows all things, who is all things, emptied himself, humbled himself, and allowed those who he created to execute him. Think about that. Like sometimes we just hear these phrases, we read this by, oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross. Think about the depth of that statement. The one who created all of humanity allowed humanity to execute him so that he might save humanity. Right? Think about the depth of that statement. You know, the early church did not view the cross the same way we do. They didn't wear crosses around their necks as jewelry as a way to remind them of Jesus' cross. And if you have a cross necklace, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying in this culture, they would have never done that. They would have never done it. It would be very similar. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine if you walked up to a guy and you looked at his cross or at his necklace and there dangling at the bottom of it was an electric chair? We would go, well, that guy's crazy, right? He had a big picture. It said gas chamber on his chest. He said, it's how people die, right? We don't think, why? Because it's, it, it's insane. It is the way that criminals are put to death. It's the way that the lowest of lower... It's the same thing in that culture. That's what the cross was. The cross was the worst form of punishment that was there. It was reserved for the lowest of low, those who didn't deserve it. So nobody would ever have worn a cross on their chest. It would have been crazy. Galatians 5.11, Paul says that the fact that God incarnate would die on a cross was a scandal. Right? He said it was unheard of that Jesus would die on a cross. It wasn't simply some execution. It was the worst form of execution reserved for the lowest of people. And as Paul shares with the Philippians that, that crucifixion, they would understand it's the lowest place that anybody could stoop, and, and it's the cruelest form of, of punishment that was ate there or put out there in the Roman Empire. It was not polite conversation. And as Paul begins to write this, he says, this is one of your greatest examples of how much Jesus loved us, of how much Jesus served us, that he went to a cross to die for our sins. In other words, he absolutely put everything behind, no matter the cost, he was willing to serve others. How many of us are willing to serve somebody else no matter the cost, right? Now we can say that, no matter what the cost, I'll do this. God, God no matter the cost, I'll follow you. But what if... What if God reveals to you what the cost is? Do you still say that? God, I'll follow you no matter what the cost. And then God said, okay, quit your job and follow me. God, I'll follow you no matter what the cost. Okay, write that check. God, I'll follow you no matter what the cost. Okay, your son, your daughter, I'm going to call, call them to Honduras. Really, God, I, I said no matter the cost, but I really thought you'd leave my kids right here close by. God, I said I'd follow you no matter the cost, but I really thought, I really thought you'd leave everything that I had built here in place. And God said, no, I said follow me no matter the cost. And so it's difficult for us to grab that, but because we understand that it's difficult, because God understood it was difficult, he said, listen, there's nothing that I will ever ask of you that's more difficult than what I asked of myself. Think about that. 
one of the greatest pieces of leadership advice that I ever got in my life came from a man that's sitting in this congregation. When I was a young man, he looked at me and he said, you can't ask others to do anything you would not do yourself. Always give them the example and ask them to follow. Don't tell them what to do until you've done it yourself. You know how true that is played out in my life? I can't expect anybody else to do anything that I'm not going to do myself. I can't make myself more important than others and say, you go do this really bad thing and I'm going to go do something that gets me all the glory. And so Jesus did that same thing. He said, listen, I will never ask you to do anything that's worse than what I already did for you. When I say no matter the cost, I understand what it means because I stretched my arms out on a wooden tree and I gave my life in the most lowly form that there ever was that others might live. I gave myself completely that you might have life yourself. And so when Jesus says, follow me no matter the cost, he says we should be willing to go however, whenever, and do whatever he asks in whichever way he asks it because he's already paid in full our debt of sin. And for so many of us, we've already predetermined the thing God wants us to do. We've kind of set parameters for our service. God, I'll do this, 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 and this, but I won't do that. And God said... I set the parameters on your service. If you're going to be a true servant, you have to humble yourself and be willing to do whatever I call you to do whenever I call you to do it. Get outside your box. Quit having your selective obedience because selective obedience is not real obedience. Would you allow your children to have selective obedience? If you gave your children a list of things to do and they came back and had done half of that list and said, but we don't think we're going to do the other half, would that fly in your house? It wouldn't fly in my house. It wouldn't have flown in my house growing up, right? I would have said, not thank you for the few things you had done. I would have said, no, you're going to do those other things as well. And essentially, that's what God is saying to us. Listen, we want to pat ourselves. Good job. We went and served him today. He said, well, that's a good start. But I said, 24-7, 365, your life is mine. Because you gave it to me and I bought it on a cross. Servanthood means being obedient no matter the cost. Hey, I got good news, right? Brother Jason always throws all this bad stuff out there. These last two are a little more exciting. Verse 9 through 11, we look at this idea. Your service will be rewarded. Anybody in here like rewards? Like prizes? I like prizes. I like rewards. I like spaghetti. Don't forget that. Look at verse 9 through 11. Jesus was obedient. He humbled himself. He was willing to pay the price. He did all of these things. And the word of God says as a result of all of that, he has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess because he was a humble servant, obedient to death, even death on the cross. God rewards our humble, obedient service. Proverbs 22.4 says the result of humility is the fear of the Lord along with wealth, honor, and life. Matthew 23.11, the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will will be exalted. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Luke 14, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. In other words, service, obedient service to God will be rewarded. 
However, it might not be rewarded with your health and wealth on this earth. Let me put that disclaimer in there. Will God bless you? Absolutely. Has God already blessed you? I can look at you right now and tell you that God has blessed you far beyond what you deserve already. Every one of us, no matter what our situation, would have to say, if we're being honest, God has blessed us far and away more than we deserve. However, can I tell you the truth? Your service to Christ, your obedience to service to Christ will be rewarded. That is scripture. You will be exalted. But you know when you will be exalted? You will be exalted after the second coming of Christ. If you study in the book of Revelation, you'll see that we are exalted after the second coming of Christ. We rule and we reign with him. We are put on a place above all others. But, but God never said, if you follow me, your life here will be perfect. If you serve me, everything will be... In fact, he said, if you serve me, you will be persecuted. You will be hated. You will be, you will be made fun of. You will be cast aside. But take heart because joy comes in the morning. Right? I said it was good news, and then I turned around and said, it's not going to happen for you till you die. I'm sorry. Can I tell you something? I've also read in the book of Revelation what happens to those who aren't exalted with Christ. Your eternity is far better having been persecuted in this life and spending an eternity being exalted with Christ than having been exalted in this life, spending an eternity being humbled in the lake of fire. And finally this morning, being a servant is more about being than it is about doing. There is no genuine life in Christ that is not done by the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do anything that the Bible commands us to do apart from the power of the Holy Spirit having been transformed into His likeness. Anything, any religion out there that promotes self-preservation above the service of others is not of Christ. So Brother Jason, what's wrong with, with all the health and wealth prosperity gospel preachers out there? They are false. They are not the true Christianity because true Christianity does not promote self. True Christianity esteems others first. Did Jesus promote himself while he was on this earth? No. He humbled himself that others might have. And when he transforms us into his likeness, we too should esteem others above ourselves. Am I saying you're wrong if you're wealthy on this earth? No. You can be wealthy and be a Christian. There's nothing wrong. God doesn't say, I hate for my people to have things. That's not the truth. But what is the truth is that if, you are, if your religion, if your basis is the promotion of self without the esteeming of others, you don't have a baseline of true Christianity. And so how do we do this? We always look for these Really big experiences, right? We look for these big opportunities where we can demonstrate just how faithful to God that we are. How can we demonstrate our servanthood to God in this one, like, really huge opportunity? But in reality, that's not usually how it happens. Usually being a servant is just being 
and not always about what you're doing in terms of a big thing. It's an uneventful, regular occurrence in our lives. The attitude, the mindset of serving others instead of being served, of giving rather than, than getting. And it comes out in our lives every day. Right? Listen, yesterday was a tremendous opportunity to take like, that's what I call a big event. A big event to serve Christ and serve the community and serve each other. But do you know what was an equally big event? Was the man who picked up his chainsaw on Tuesday morning. Was the lady who picked up her trash bag on Wednesday afternoon. It was the interaction you had at the grocery store with the person who was in the aisle beside you. It's every single day how we treat each other. That is our opportunities to serve Christ. And how that we show others that we're different. Because can I tell you something? I don't know if you've noticed this or not. The world is pretty dog-eat-dog. And so if you, as a follower of Christ, begin to esteem others more than yourself, guess what? People are going to ask you why you're doing that. In which you get the opportunity to say, I do it. Because Christ loved me so much that he gave himself for me. And that's what we call... Servant evangelism. Servant evangelism. You thought I was done talking about making disciples, didn't you? I'm not. We serve because it gives us an opportunity to make disciples. By serving others, we have an opportunity to say, I serve because God loved me so much. So I ask you this question this morning. Are you here to serve or did you come in here to be served this morning? Did you, come, did you come to church so, the, so that people could pour into you? Or did you come to church so you could worship a living God and get the fuel that you need to go out and serve others? Are you going through the motions in your service or are you becoming a servant yourself? The example has been set. The example has been shown to us. Jesus Christ humbly served others no matter the cost. Will you do the same this morning? What's God calling you to do? Maybe he's calling you to serve someone in your community. Maybe he's calling you to serve in this church in some capacity. I don't know what it is, but would you come this morning and say, God, I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to do what you command me to do no matter the cost. But be ready. Be ready because when you say, God, I'll serve you no matter the cost, be ready to be obedient to what he calls you to do. But maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you keep getting hung up on the idea that God loved you so much that Jesus would die on a cross for you. You've never accepted him as your savior. You've never come to the point where you said, God, I want to give my life to you. I want to follow you. I cannot believe that you would love me so much that while I'm here and a sinner and undeserving and done all the bad things that I've done, you would die for me anyway. Would you come this morning? And let's talk about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior so that you can serve others from the love of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, Father, we thank you for your word, your mercy. Father, your wisdom, your truth. And Father, humbly we stand before you. Asking that you would cause a stirring in us that we would serve you, God. That we would give our lives to be marked by service to others. That as we serve others, we might have opportunity to say, I only can do this 
Not because I'm such a good person, but because God is so good and he saved me. God, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their savior, would you stir up in them a conviction, a knowledge that they are a sinner and a realization that Jesus, you humbled yourself and died that we might have life. Father, we love you. We thank you for all the opportunities that you give us to serve you, Father. Help us to redeem those opportunities. And it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.